recorded in the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter. I have short show here, but it's not. It's the long show. The long show. The Tuesday night show. And this is where we're learning to walk in the age of fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we seek you in spirit and truth. We want to understand you and your son, which is life eternal. We pray your blessings upon uh, Seth and, and Mags and Wendy and, and uh, the callers. Oh, we don't have callers. Uh, we pray for uh, people who are seeking you. That's what it's all about. And uh, to grow in the Christian faith, which is manifested by love. And uh, we just pray for our audience, where they be tuned in live or if they watch from the archives now or in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't do this often because I want the living God to recognize all of you, but I do want to personally thank each and every one of you uh, to the Lord God Almighty for your support of the ministry. Many of you pray for us. They pray for me and for the staff and uh, the ministry at large. And those prayers are invaluable uh, to me, and I thank you for your willingness to sacrifice. That's why they call prayer the sacrifice, the fruit of the lips, because you're spending time, uh, which is what life is made of, according to Ben Franklin. You're spending time to mention my name in the ministry and Seth and Wendy and Mags and my family or whoever else is involved. And you take the time in your prayers to, to mention us, and that, that is so gratefully uh, appreciated because... You're asking to God to impart his mercy and his insight to the ministry for us. And so I thank you. Some of you, and I very rarely mention this, support us financially. And we appreciate every cent and try to make the best. We try to take your donations and use them to increase the ministry output multifold. We really try to use your dollar to stretch it and give uh, you or the audience or anybody real bang for the buck. And there are so many options out there on where to give. I realize that good ones too. So we want you to know that really grateful for that sacrifice as well. We have taken the past number of years to build up resources in the ministry without any real effort to market them out to the world. I mean, we did some stuff with a little bit of marketing on some billboards here once and we've done some other things. Uh, we have just relied on people to find us pretty much through uh, words and search engine stuff and uh, no, no optimization really. And gathering, producing, and presenting our data has really been a Herculean effort over the past 14, coming up on 15 years. And uh, we almost have filled the storehouse to capacity. Uh, we're almost done with a verse-by-verse -verse teaching through the New Testament. And uh, it's an exhaustive verse-by-verse -verse teaching. And by taking this approach, we've been able to focus on leadership and concepts rather than just appeasing the masses. And, and we have been able to focus on uh, delivering content rather than answering emails and, and, and doing weddings and everything else if you fill the church with that sort of thing. And when you're on the cutting edge and you change your mind and you're bringing forth new concepts, that's anathematic to growth because people who are in the audience will naturally leave when you're doing that. But the sifting's almost been done and uh, we keep going on and not focusing that much on subscribers or, or hits or thumbs up. But once the storehouse is full and complete and we have everything produced and vetted and in place, 
we will shift into the second phase of this ministry, which we're going to talk about in 2021. No one really knows about that second shift, but it's coming. And well in advance of this, I just want to take time to thank every one of you for being with us through thick and thin. You guys, you uh, three to five to 600, sometimes 1,200 regulars, sometimes in the higher thousands, 3,000s, but you regulars who come in and watch, you're the original gangsters of Heart of the Matter. You've been with Seth and Wendy and Mags and I and Mary and Cassie and Delaney and uh, everybody else who's been around the ministry for a long time. You've been with us from the start. You're the original core. And uh, I see you as that. And I just want to thank all of you for being there in the name of our King. Continue to pray for us uh, through 2021 because it's going to bring some great stuff, which I look forward to telling you about. Just a reminder, we have taught through most of the New Testament, as I said, verse by verse, and all of those teachings are available uh, at campus. Just look at the subscriptions below, descriptions, descriptions below. You'll learn all about campus. Click on the link and you can find all those verse by verse teachings. We also have a number of books out there that are published. You can go and click on the our, our website at hotm.faith and you can find all those publications there. And on we go. We're, tonight, we're going with biblical, new biblical perspectives. This is part two or three. I don't know which one. We're having arguments here on how to, what to title these things. Because everybody has an opinion when it comes to these matters. And my opinion is never, ever seen as genius. It's always seen as insanity. And so there's all these arguments about what to name it. But these are new biblical, biblical perspectives. And we talked about Revelation number nine. Tonight, we're going to talk about something different that I don't think has ever been considered. When reading the scripture, if you step back a minute and allow it, you'll see the narrative is addressed to God's people. We have to admit that, that the Old Testament was written to the Jews, about the Jews, from the Jews, for the Jews. That's who it was written for and to, okay? Moses... He sits down, I guess he sat, he could have stood, and he tells us the story of the creation, and he tells us the story of Noah and the flood, and he tells us the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then he tells about Jacob having the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes, and some of the dealings that happened then. Then he talks about Joseph going to Egypt. He talks about the 12 tribes being uh, put in bondage by Pharaoh being released by Moses now. Moses is writing on this. Moses comes into the picture literally then, and he tells about how he led them out of bondage and into the wilderness in order to get to the promised land, how God gave them the law and the prophets, and how he instructed them how to build a tabernacle, what they were supposed to do, when they were supposed to do it. And then once Moses died, having given us the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he wrote all of those while living in the midst of it all. God then sent other prophets and poets who wrote Isaiah and Jeremiah and David, etc. And all of those writings compile what we call the Old Testament, what the Jews call the Tanakh. 
And then we have the gospel writers show up and they tell us the story of Jesus, about his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the apostles tell us the story about how the gospel was spread out to the world through the book of Acts. And then we have specific epistles written by Peter, James, and John, and uh, Paul. And they're all telling about what was happening in their ministry and advice and doctrine. And most of those writings there were um, of the Old Testament. They existed among the Jews anciently. And then they were carried forward to the bride of Christ in that day. The concept was in all of both those books, so to speak, Old Testament and apostolic writings, the concept that there was another book in heaven or books in heaven was mentioned in both of those testaments. The book is called the, the book of life. The book is called the Lamb's book of life. The book is sometimes called just the book, and it's also referenced as being someone having their name written in heaven, okay? One of the most important themes about this book, whichever title you want to give it, is the idea that names were all written in it at first. They were all included in that book, and that it's not that names were being added to it, in fact, the names were being taken out of it. So the biblical concept of the book that's in heaven was that all the names were included and God would erase or blot out names as you went along. So a lot of people don't know that. They think that names were being added by God. No, no, no. Every name was in the book and he slowly took names out. If you look at Exodus 32, 32, it says, Now... Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Blot me out. It's a concept I'm trying to introduce to you now. The idea here is that Yahweh wrote the names of his elect, which to me was the nation of Israel as a whole. Everybody's name was in there. And he would erase those names as they showed themselves unfaithful, untrustworthy, idolaters, and stuff like that people of the nation of Israel who had no desire for him at all. In Psalm 69, 27 through 28, the psalmist prays that the wicked would, quote, be blotted out of the book of life. Take their names and erase them from it. Okay? It's an interesting concept. Revelation 3, 5 says to them then, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The key to this theme is that God from the foundation of the world had all the names included in the book of the nation of Israel in my estimation. And they might collectively be seen as those who were predestined to be his children from the start. And when we read that, we get that. This idea of him blotting out or erasing names from the book is also mentioned in Scripture. And this tells us that just because God elected everybody and put them in the book, God could also and would also erase them out of it. And that isn't often mentioned by people, but it's true. He would blot their name out of the book. Many, in fact, most believers today... When they read the Bible, they assume 
that this act of blotting out names continues now. That God included their name in the book. And it's possible that he will also erase their name for whatever reason relative to them not being faithful. I don't think this is so as Gentiles were not his elect from the foundation of the world. I think the Bible shows that it was the nation of Israel, and that's why the Bible speaks to the nation of Israel. That's why from the foundation of the world, they were his elect. He wrote their names in there, but as they proved faithless, he would erase them. This is the result of reading what was written to them then and assigning it to us now. And it's, the, it's not a crime, but it's the error of so many Christians today to take all these concepts and actually believe they apply to this modern age. I would suggest that we're faced with a different application relative to the book of life since the wrapping up of that age and the names that are now written in the book and the names that are in the book now are being added, added now rather than being blotted out. I see this because I don't see God predestining the whole world to be his. I see God as adding names since the advent of Christ, since the destruction of Jerusalem, and since the great white throne judgment. See, in that age where God was doing everything necessary through the nation of Israel, through her prophets, through their Messiah, the book contained every name. God had elected them from the foundation of the world, and it would only make sense that he would beforehand write their names in that book of life. But it would also make sense he would also erase names as they proved unfaithful. But at the end of the age, when the final judgment occurred and Sheol, or hell, was emptied out, Satan and his demons are cast into the lake of fire, we read the following in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things, which were written in the books according to their works. This is the final thing, the great white throne judgment. And they're looking at the two books according to their works of that age. And this had application to them then. Those through whom God had worked out the salvation of the human race once and for all. When read, these passages written to the Jews in that day and age, in the present, and we take them for the present, they say thing, people say things like, well, I hope that God doesn't blot my name out from the book. And I would suggest that that's a misappropriation of the text. God reconciling the world to himself by and through his only begotten son, I think names ever since are added. He elected the nation, but some of that nation rejected him, so their names were blotted out or erased. Today, instead of removing names from the Lamb's Book of Life, I tend to think that the names are one by one added to that book by God at whatever time he does it. I don't know if he does it when you first believe. I don't know if he does it when you die. Whatever it is, he adds your name to that book and you have entrance into his kingdom. And no other will. And no other will. I can't prove this through scripture. That's why we call the, that's what we're calling these series New Biblical Perspective. But I do think that there's a reasonable uh, evidence for us to see it that way. It seems to me that if the, Lamb, the Lamb's Book of Life remains in play, 
It is therefore forever in play since, as Isaiah 9, 6 says, his kingdom will increase forever. It's increasing forever. That it's increasing when those names are added. That, that is his kingdom. And therefore those people are part of his kingdom on high. So those whose names are added are, uh, are not added are not his. And they will not enter into the new Jerusalem above. And this does not mean they will go to an insufferable hell in eternity. It just means they're not his. And they will have no entrance into his kingdom. If we think about it, the action of erasing names from a book or adding names to a book, which are all symbolic gestures. I doubt it's literal. It's just a symbolic gesture, by the way. The end result is the same. Whether you were a Jew and your name was first written and then erased and left, or whether you're a Gentile and you receive Christ by faith and your name is added, everyone who is his wants their name written in that book. And when they die, they want to hear or see or understand that their name is included. That's the point. It's not a hill to die on. It's not by any means a dogma that I think we should debate or argue. But I do see it as a distinguishing characteristic between what we read in the ancient text applicable to them then and what we read today. They were having their names blotted out as his chosen people. We are having our names added in. So let's go to the comments from last week's viewing of the shows. We're not going to cover your comments on Cat. That will be covered by my host, Steve and Ethan, later on. But John Golden says, careful here. Oops, that's not it. That's, from, that's for Cat. Uh, let me go down. I'm going down to Benzadula. All right. Wait a minute. We had one before Benzadula. Okay. Benzula says, Sean, I love your opening testimony. This is about caller is interested in why the show HOTM exists. Sean, I love your opening testimony. What you have been and what you believe now in Jesus Christ. And I appreciate that because it's important for people to know that I do with all my heart. Seek him, love him, serve him, and want him in my life. Steve James wrote, I started following Sean roughly 10 years ago. He's really changed a lot. The new Sean is rather impressive. Well, thank you, because I get so tired of people saying, I wish the old Sean would come back. And he'd argue with the Mormons. He'd yell and scream at them. And uh, they love that, don't they? You know, they get their popcorn. It's like a carnival show. And I was the main act as an animule. But uh, Steve James picks out something that's important to me. And that I've grown in the faith as a man, and I don't see all those hills I was dying on as being worthy of death. That was relative to the Kwaku L show, where part two, where we did an interview with Kwaku a few uh, a year ago or more. Max Frank, relative to New Biblical Perspective, part two, says, Respect, agape, perhaps, or wise David knew better than to incur the wrath of Mrs. McCraney. Now, I don't know what I said in that show on New Biblical Perspectives, but Max seems to be suggesting that I, like David, grew wise and over the years rather than uh, learning about agape love. And I just realized it's not okay to incur the wrath of my wife for things. Um, my wife will be the first one to tell you 
If it comes to my opinion of the faith versus her opinion on life, if they contradict, it's phenopole to her opinion on life. I don't care. I go by what I believe the word says of God relative to us. But it's a good quote. Parawan prophet, because Parawan's in the state of Utah, and he adds prophet, I am assuming that we are going to be reading something about an LDS man. Could be wrong. Sean, Acts 2, 17 through 19 tells us the last days and God's servants and handmaidens have prophetic dreams. That's true. That's what Peter says. He, he cites from Joel. And he says, and I have visions of World War III beginning near Christmas. Google my name and read free and prepare for war soon. What's the date today? It's the 6th. We've got 19 days before World War III breaks out. Um, Jude 18, bless you and people. See 2 Peter 3, 3 and all the chapter with fire and judgment. And he says, Isaiah 66, 15. And then he adds doctrine and covenants, 88, 81. So uh, the prophet here who calls himself the parallel prophet is telling us, he's warning us as the prophet that, uh, hey, uh, a big World War III is coming and prepare. And he's citing scripture to support that. He adds, when a nuke hits Salt Lake City, the great spacious building will fall as Nephi 11 tells. And then he writes what that says. I'm not going to read what Nephi said because that was fiction. Leland born in Parowan, i.e. the Parowan prophet. And that's from the New Biblical Perspective Part 1 show. So, um, when prophets come forward, uh, Leland, freeborn, is one of them. We've had others come forward. Prophets, seers, revelators. We've had met Christamelka. He's the new prophet. We've met different prophets along the way. I cite Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to us through prophets. Has in these last days, and that was written 2,000 years ago by the writer of Hebrews, has in these last days spoken unto us by his son, period. So when Christ came and did what he did, I do not see any more the need for a prophet to tell us what's coming. I don't see the need for anyone to claim to be a prophet and bring us new revelation. And what that says to me is that the events of this world are not worthy of prophecy. That we have Christ in this world. We don't need prophets telling us of the next nuclear war because if we have one, we have one. Because Christ has done what he came to do. Because in these last days... Uh, God has revealed his will by his son, the prophet. Okay, Jesus Christ. Kenya Mendez says, uh, relative to the show, a little talk about Jesus. Jesus is the promised redeemer. There will be no life without him. And I agree. Only real, true living and life is in and through Christ. I wholeheartedly support that comment. I don't believe that any real semblance of life exists outside of being in relationship with Christ ever, here or thereafter. It doesn't exist. Did you hear that? All right. We're having an issue in the studio because people are dropping the toilet lids 
when they go in the bathroom and it echoes through here. You may not have heard it, but we hear it. So we're trying to, Seth thinks we should put up a neon sign that flashes and says, be quiet while you're in the toilet. But uh, we're trying to figure that out. Another reason why uh, love prevails. GJM says, oh, don't fool yourselves, girls. Want sex just as much as men do. Don't lump shame and guilt into what we intimidate, into that we intimidate girls into having sex. It takes two to tango. That was relative to another uh, show that was Cat, and I shouldn't have read that. Uh, I don't know. Wendy is the one who edits things. She hits the sauce hard at night sometimes. And uh, so uh, she missed that. Anyway, Charlie Clark, our brother Charlie, we love. He said, thank you, brother. The more you research and the more you start to seek the truth about the stories in the Bible, you have a tendency to fall off into question your faith. Thank you for the booster shot. That's on the show, a little talk about Jesus that Wendy cut and put out there for you to watch. Uh, and if you start to get sidetracked and off the beaten path relative to Jesus as a central figure in your life, watch that show because it's just a little bit about what he really is and what he means to all of us. This is a long argument, goes back and forth. But Eli Sheets writes, from, uh, based on the new biblical perspective, Sean claims he's about biblical truth until he talks to people with master's degrees in New Testament Greek. Then it's all, well, I feel, etc. Sean is not about finding real biblical truth. So that was what Eli said. Um, I guess he thinks that if you get a master's degree, like the Jesus apostles had and like Jesus had, you're more equipped to serve in the Christian faith. Um, I tend to find the master's degree, all it does is it allows you to fluidly read Greek, but it doesn't allow you to have comprehension that's any better than mine. I lack the master's degree, but I can read what everything says about the Greek, understand the tense, find out what the words mean, and I can parse through a, a verse and understand it by the Spirit better or as well as anybody who has a master's or PhD in the language. So Eli, if you want to go to that argument that men have created, that those who have been studied in the classical languages are more are closer to God with their understanding of him, go ahead. But I haven't found that to be the case. Max Frank wrote in response to that, oh, the humanity, uh, which is funny. Eli Sheets then adds, I loved your HOTM1 until you started attacking your Christian brethren. You are a walking contradiction. He's citing uh, uh, James White, who called me a walking contradiction, which is not an original term. It comes from a song, I think. But uh, in fact, Green Day sings about walking contradictions. But you're a walking contradiction and inevitably leading ignorant people away from the true gospel. Now, he wrote that relative to the show, A Little Talk About Jesus. I'm leading people away from the true gospel. I don't know how I'm doing that. I don't know what I'm saying that's leading them away from the true gospel because I in no way am leading people away from uh, the gospel being that Jesus was born, lived, died, resurrected. That's what the gospel is as defined by 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's what the gospel is. 
how I'm leading them away from the fact that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected on the third day, and he's our Lord, King, and Savior, and the only way to get to the Father is but by him, I am not doing that at all. Now, now, Eli, if you are saying that the gospel includes the doctrine of the Trinity made by man for us to believe upon so we could have a consensus on how we teach about God away from the Holy Spirit, then you're, then you're right. If you're including the ideas of the Trinity in the gospel, which even Paul doesn't do. Or if you're including the ideas of eternal punishment for the wicked, forever and ever and ever and ever, which the gospels and, and the New Testament don't do. They don't do that at all. If you're saying that's part of the gospel, then yeah, you're right. I'm leading them away from the gospel. But if you're just talking about the good news, I think you've made a misstatement. I don't have a master's degree to be able to articulate that, but that's the case. Um, Charlie came back and said something to Eli, and uh, he, Eli says, Sean crossed the line when he called pastors and church leaders garbage. I didn't call pastors and church leaders garbage. I called some doctrines garbage. Now, I think modern-day church is garbage in a large way. And if you show me a pastor who teaches tithes to their unsuspecting members, I would say that their doctrine on tithes is garbage too. But I didn't do that. And he says, plus, he doesn't believe in hell. And he thinks you can be saved while practicing another faith. Are you telling me, Eli, that a person who practices Roman Catholicism and prays to Mary but has an ardent, strident faith in Jesus and lives a life commensurate with such is going to hell. And the fact that I don't believe in hell today is a misnomer because uh, that's not the misnomer. The misnomer is when you say, I don't believe in hell, that's wrong. I absolutely believe in hell as a biblical tenet. And it was a reality in the Old Testament. And it was a reality when Jesus was on earth. And he warned the people then of the danger of them going to it. But it's not a reality anymore. All you got to do is read Revelation chapter 20. And Satan and hell were cast into the lake of fire. I mean, that's what scripture says. It was cast in the lake of fire. Why you say it still exists, I don't know. I think Jesus had the victory over everything. Oh, you don't? You don't think he had the victory over hell and Satan? You, oh, you mean you believe Satan's still roaming around after Jesus said it's finished and he did everything necessary? Satan's still stealing people from God? Is that what you believe? That's funny. I believe he had the victory. I believe that Satan's reign ended during the New Testament age. And I think it can be proven by scripture. But apparently, Eli, you don't. So because I say that, I've crossed the line. Whose line? The line of tradition? Charlie goes back and forth with him and, and there's, there's no reasoning with somebody who wants someone wants to make a point. But in the end, uh, and then we, someone else, Rich Newman got involved and he adds a whole bunch of stuff relative hell being there because of Moses and that Moses was Satan. It's really funny to watch comments because everyone who starts throwing their hat in the ring, you get some really interesting stuff. That's why I maintain that doctrine in the end doesn't matter. What matters is how do we treat each other who oppose separate uh, doctrinal beliefs. And so that's why uh, it's things like that that I think it's important. 
And then we're going to move on. Sorry, I didn't tell you this, Wendy, when she prepared those statements. Um, Dwayne Dahl Jr., DDJ, as he's known by his friends. I don't know that. Just making that up. He says, but to what world was Jesus given to? Galatians 4.4 is your answer. The world of those under the law, not mankind. Otherwise, Thinking otherwise, in my opinion, shows a Grecian understanding of the world, not the Hebraic view, which was what intended. So I wish Duane, uh, he w- writes a lot, I wish he would have articulated a little bit more about what he's saying here. Because is he saying that Jesus, is he doing an Israel-only view? And is he saying that Jesus only suffered for the world of the Jew, that age, that world under the law, and that he, he didn't pay for the sins of the world as a whole? And if he did, I, I hope you get some articulation to help understand that. God in gun clinger. Uh, says, he quotes the scripture. Unto us a child is given, unto us a son. Unto us a, listen to the scripture, by the way. Unto us a child is born. This is prophesied by Isaiah. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. He shall be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, capital F the Prince of Peace. It's the only place in the Old Testament where God as a father is mentioned with a capital F. Did you know that? As the father of God the Father? We get God the Father notion when it comes to Jesus being born. That's when God is a father. Uh, But before that in the Old Testament, we never get it except in this one place, Isaiah 9, 6, the everlasting father, and it's capital F. And guess who that's attributed to? Jesus calls him the everlasting father. And people think I should change my views on the Trinity? I don't think so. Mark and Peter says, Hi, Sean. Come home to the Catholic Church. (laughs) Thank you, Mark, Peter. Um, That will not be happening, brother. But I appreciate the invitation. Glass, formerly known as Sandcastle. We won't tell you his full name. Thank you for changing it. He writes, Awesome. Relative to the show, a little talk about Jesus. Ken Olson writes, I left the Mormon church 15 years ago. It took me a long time to realize that it was Jesus that led me out of the Mormon religion. Jesus did so with great kindness and great patience. It took 14 years before I came to an understanding of my place in eternity and asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for your service, brother. That was also in reference to the show, a little talk about Jesus. My brother and friend, Eric Jurdy, He introduced me to a lot of the ideas about uh, near-death experiences. Says, hey, Sean, I just wanted to say hi. Because of you, I came to truly know Jesus. You were the catalyst for me to know Jesus. And that blessing continues to unfold in my life in the ministry work I do with near-death experience. I know this is a weird place to post this, but I wanted to publicly thank you. I love you, brother. And that was relative to the show New Biblical Perspectives. And I love you too, Eric. He was a guest on our show once. He and I haven't talked much. I, I have gotten involved in things and I left 
things behind there, but I love the brother. And uh, near-death experiences are really interesting to study. And if you want to study something, you should look at what Eric Jurdy has written about them. Lindsay, Lindsay, and according to Wendy, I, according to Wendy, Wendy, I know who Lindsay, Lindsay is. Uh, she wrote, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful relative to the Already Came Back show, part three. Already Came Back, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Why Wendy can sure pick them. That's what she said. And then there's a hashtag, like the do-rag. So it must be talking about Wendy's bedtime attire. I don't know. Kenya Mendez uh, wrote, I recommend Sean's verse-by-verse study of Revelation. It's mind-blowing. Kenya, thank you so much for that endorsement. Um, It is mind-blowing. Much of the information was taken from people who really have done the work. I just am a gatherer of facts. And the Revelation study is tremendous. But let me tell you what we're doing. And I've mentioned it before. Get ready. This will be something that's coming out in 2021. We have gone through and we've taken every chapter of Revelation. I've written a book on every chapter. I have written 15 books so far on each chapter of Revelation up to chapter 15. When I finish at chapter 22, we're going to provide those books as a volume set and sold individually to anybody who wants them as a way to go through and and study and read what the content actually says about the book of Revelation. And I want to tell you, humbly with God as the lead and other scholars and, and researchers and commentators coming in before me to give me the information, the thing slams the door on futurism. It slams the door completely on uh, the idea Jesus is coming back and he's going to destroy the world. It was all to them then. And this 22-volume set is going to reveal that. We are working on it hard. And that's how we've gotten 15 uh, volumes in. We've got seven or eight more. I I never can figure out math that way. And uh, we'll go from there. Stephen, relative to New Biblical Perspective Part 2, says, Sean, do you have a clip of yourself talking about Moroni 10? I'm sure there's a there's got to be a clip, several clips of me talking about Moroni 10, but I don't know what, where they are. That's something else we're going to do in 21 is we're going to start to systematize more than Wendy and Seth have already systematized all the storehouse of information. And we're going to get other people to help come in and help do this so that we can now sort all this. So if you ask that question, Seth could look on his phone and say, it's here, 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 and here. Right now, all I can say is, yeah, we don't know. A.W. says, Jesus the janitor, because I call Jesus a janitor in Mormonism, meaning a janitor that shows up when you have a spill, and but a janitor who doesn't come up immediately when you purposely write on the walls, and a janitor who takes a long time to show up when you have uh, vandalized the classroom. And uh, with Christianity, Jesus showed up and did everything for the spill, uh, the writing on the wall, and the vandalization. With Mormons, it's a, it's a case-by-case basis on when Jesus shows up to take care of your sin. Chris said, any chance we can get John O'Fallon for a sit-down interview with Sean? I would pay $1,000 to John O'Fallon. I'll pay $500 reward to anyone who can get John O'Fallon. That's $1,500 that I don't have. I'll take it out of someone's Christmas bonus, which we don't give. Uh, but 
we will pay a thousand to John O'Fallon and 500 to the finder of John O'Fallon if he'll come on Heart of the Matter and we can talk. It'll be a reunion. I'll shed tears. I mean, I just might kiss him on the lips. He provided such entertainment. Robert Haas said, somebody help me out. How do I watch Sean live? I'm technologically stupid and can no longer find him when he's live. The response came from the host, co-host on Cat, Ethan, who told him how to find uh, why we can't watch live anymore. And it's because we pre-record all the shows. And so I appreciate that communal effort on Ethan's part. And then Vincent S. is interesting. I believe that the warnings in the New Testament are both for the generation during Jesus' death, but also to the extent for us and perhaps future generations. And that was the New Biblical Perspective response. Listen, I agree with you. I think that the Bible has um, historical supports for our day. I think it has perspectives that are eternal. It's got God's word. But in a literal application of what was written, I think it was to them. I don't think we can take the Bible's content and literally apply it to ourselves or the church today. David Harrington, he's an old-time viewer. He says, being the one and the one mighty and strong is not easy, exclamation point. In Mormonism, Joseph Smith had some kind of revelation where, and it's in the Doctrine and Covenants, where he refers to as one mighty and strong coming forward in the last days. This is David's Harrington's joke of me being the one mighty and strong when he says it's not an easy task. Is it true you received your second anointment? Meaning, so he's using a lot of jokes there within Mormonism to ask me if I'm the guy. Uh, it's a joke. David Harrington says, it's been a long time, brother, and it has. Glad to hear from you. Jake Collins says, movie from Utah. On the show, The Absolute and Only True Liberty, he says, movie from Utah. I got to get my Urim and Thummim out to understand you guys. And Vanessa Braga, uh, she writes, we have liberty in Christ, freedom to choose, which is why I can't believe the story where God threatens Joseph Smith with a flaming sword. Exactly, Vanessa. I think God would never do that. He loves us and calls us patiently. But what about a robber who says, give me your money or I will shoot you dead? Is it really much of a choice then? I would say no. But God told Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit or they would die. God commanded people to kill in the Bible, which seems like it would be against their will. Not much freedom there. So he lays out some pretty heavy rules with some pretty heavy consequences. So is that still freedom? Under the law, there is no freedom. And they were under the law. So when they were commanded to do things like take out entire uh, villages, when the, the nation of Israel was conquering the, the promised land, conquering the promised land, they were under the law. And where there is law, there is no freedom. And so you're right about that. That is heavy handed. But he gave the law, Paul says, as a means to show the need for a Messiah, as a means to enhance the need for a Messiah as the way to access God. So that's how I see those types of things. Tony Rowan says his video is five years ago. He made, has he made any follow-ups? He's talking about a video of Don K. Preston when he debated a local pastor who thought that he could take Don on relative to eschatology. It was a bloodbath, but Don K. Preston uh, has uh, done a number of things. He, he, all you got to look up is his, he has his own channel. What? 
He has his own channel and he does a discussion every day upon it. Do you know the name of that channel? Just look up Don K. Preston and you'll find it. That's from the mind of Seth. Robbie Carrier says, right on. Liberty has been the message the Spirit has been bombarding me with for about a year. Every connection you made in reference to those few verses, which was the show Absolute and Only True Liberty. Brad Hardesty says, hey, Sean, I lived in, I lived in the PCH in Maine Corner Apartment in 8586. I told the story about how when I was a kid, I wanted to live in this upstairs apartment on the corner of Main Street and Pacific Coast Highway that overlooked the ocean. And Brad is saying he lived there in 8586. He said it was incredible. Five of us in a two-bedroom apartment. I, I actually built a platform bed so I could look through the windows when I was in bed at night. Double hung windows, usually open with the breeze coming through. Oh, he's going back through Old memories. Walter Trout would jam blues rock on Maine in his bar a few doors down. There would be fights we'd watch at like 2 in the morning. One huge fight between the surfers and the leather jacket rockers. Like 20, 30 people complete with throwing somebody through a storefront window. The girls would visit us on the weekend if they knew we lived there. The, Eastern, the Middle Eastern guys at Jack's became friends. They would ask me why I wasn't surfing. They would go grab me a rental board and go, L and go, LOL, free all the time. Walking barefoot over to Wimpy's for a plate of fries and a shake. Good times, just drop by to say hi. I think I know why I wanted to go there as a kid. Just for that description of what he said, I wanted to live a life like that. And uh, that was a good uh, call back to the old times. Kenya uh, Mendy says, I would like to add that because liberty is so important to God, suffering will not be done away with. Exactly, my sister. And people who read that suffering will end in this world have read it so wrong. Expecting for every tear to be dried and all that stuff that's talked about in Revelation is talking about a spiritual state. It is not talking about this world. And that's a utopian idea that is pushed out by futurists when it comes to eschatology. Suffering is a consequence of having liberty. Amen. Amen. Would you rather have no liberty in order to end with suffering? No, I would not. And that's why God is so great. Almost done. Teresa loves Jesus. How are we doing on time? Teresa loves Jesus says, God sure is using you for his glory. Thank you. I sometimes wonder, is it really the Holy Spirit or my own crazy idea when in the end the action would not be beneficial? I was raised in an emotionally harmful environment and I used to get taken advantage of my maturing age and life experience has helped, but also jaded me. I have trouble knowing when it's actually the Holy Spirit. I have a little advice for you, my sister, and that is this. Let me dry my part, wet my part's throat. When the Holy Spirit is at work, the fruit of your thought, the fruit of your drive, the fruit of your action will always be agape love. That's how you know it's of, if it's of God. You're sitting in a car, someone's honking for you to go, and you flip them off. That is the product of your flesh. Something says to you, just be patient with them. They're frustrated. They don't understand and you do what's necessary to get going, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
You want to go run off with your neighbor's wife or husband. That is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You're inspired by God to do this. You know He's behind it that you and the spouse of the neighbor get along so well and really understand each other. That's the flesh. The Holy Spirit will say, that's not what you do as a Christian. It's not agape love. It's not selfless. It's not uh, thinking of others. It's not putting them first. It's all those things. So anything that you have come to your mind or, or come to your actions that is not agape love is probably from you. Anything that lends you to doing what God would want you to do through the life of his son, the example of that life, is probably of the Holy Spirit. And that's the way I would gauge it. Uh, John Miller said, hello. Hello. How are you? And JL says, tis a reason why freedom is my favorite word. It is exponential. What's yours? And he says, I write that uh, rhetorically, meaning it's not to you, Sean. Uh, it is to uh, the viewers. And that wraps up our comments for the long show tonight. Write your comments below so that we can talk about what your ideas and thoughts are. They're important to us. And uh, tune in to Cat as we're uh, bringing more and more of those out. Subscribe to it. Give us a thumbs up. Subscribe. Ding, ding. What else do we want? Check out the comments below. What else? Look at the links. There's all kinds of links. And there's some tigers and, and ligers there too, including links. So uh, we'll see you next week. That's a dad joke here on Heart of the Matter.